Um, this is 2 Corinthians 5 um, from verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is, what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who, would, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God we were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might come the righteousness of God. Right, let's pray. Father, we pray as that, that as we consider your word for the first time in this new year, you would instruct us, encourage us, and inspire us to act. Amen. Guess what's now in the way? A thousand reasons. Well, new year... Uh, generally does feel a bit like a new beginning, doesn't it? And that's why today we're looking at a rather more fundamental new beginning, which is the new beginning of which Paul speaks in the reading we've just had, the one he speaks of in verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And I'm going to focus just on that verse and address three basic questions. First of all, what does it mean? Second, how does it relate to our everyday experience of life? And third, how should we respond to it? Now, I admit I do not have anything new to say this morning. We may be talking about new beginnings, but the message itself is very old indeed, and I trust there's nothing wrong with that. But let's start then with looking at what Paul meant by what he said. Uh, if you were listening carefully a moment ago, you will have noted that in the first part of our reading, Paul defends his evangelistic ministry, and he asserts that it is through that ministry that he is responding to the love of Jesus. Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Jesus died and was raised again, and the love that he thereby showed compels us 
to respond to him. And, and having asserted that, Paul goes on to draw some conclusions from it. Verse 16, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Paul regards no one from a worldly point of view. Now, by that, he doesn't merely mean he looks beyond external appearances. What he's saying is he looks at everyone, regards everyone, from the point of view of what God has done in Jesus, from the point of view of their relationship with Jesus. And that's why he goes on in verse 17 to say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. When Paul talks about someone being in Christ, he's meaning that they are a Christian. But he's also pointing to something very important about what happens when we become Christians. Now, I know you may say, well, hey, I know that, I know what happens. But we put our faith in Jesus and we are through that forgiven and accepted by God. And that's true. Paul says it. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Note that uh, expression again. But there's more to it than that. You see, the expression in Christ is not merely a fancy way of saying believers. It points to the fact that when we put our faith in Jesus, and to use Paul's expression again, we are united with Christ. And that has important consequences. Paul talks about those at some length in Romans chapter 6, and I'll just quote a bit of that now. We were, therefore, that's, he's talking to Christians, of course, we were, therefore, buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live in him. It's quite complex, but there are two basic things that are being said. First of all, Paul says, we are united with Christ's death. I don't have time to go into all the detail of that, but the fundamental point is that, as Paul puts it here, we're freed from what he calls slavery to sin. Put simply, we are able to serve God and to please God as well. And then secondly we are united with Christ's resurrection. In other words, we will share in Christ's resurrection in due course. And these things aren't airy-fairy things of no practical importance. I hope that's self-evident in regards to the resurrection. We will be raised to new life as Jesus has already been raised. That's pretty important, isn't it? a fairly fundamental key truth. But also, in the meantime, 
Something significant has happened to us and in us. Something that has consequences immediately in our lives now. And it is that aspect of being united with Christ that Paul's talking about here in Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Uh, Actually, in the original Greek, it just says new creation. If anyone is in Christ, new creation is what Paul is saying. It's generally translated in in English Bibles, um, he is a new creation or something like that, which gets the gist of what's being said across. If we are Christians, something has changed in us, and it's a dramatic change. Jesus spoke of it as being new birth, being born again, or born of the Spirit. And likewise, Paul referred to the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's Titus 3, 5. And this change is brought about by the Holy Spirit working in us. The Holy Spirit is changing our very natures. And that change is so dramatic as to be aptly described as an act of new creation by by Paul. A thousand years before Jesus, King David famously prayed, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We actually sometimes use that prayer ourselves. I don't know whether you realise where it comes from. David prayed that, and then the Old Testament prophets said that God would indeed do that, that, uh, that God would come and provide new hearts, renew his people. I, I could quote many passages about that, but this is from Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And the prophets also said that that work of new creation in God's people would be part of God's larger work of new creation, the the restoration of the whole world. And what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians 5, is that work of new creation has started in us. It's pretty fundamental. But I suspect that a number of you are at this point thinking something like this. Well, that's all very well. But I don't feel like a new creation. Uh, In fact, I frequently fail in my service of God and I struggle with my tendency to do wrong things. Actually, I frequently don't feel very close to God. And my experience seems a long way away from what you've just been describing, what Paul is describing here. I suspect it won't be much comfort to hear that I've sometimes felt like that, and indeed I know many other Christians who have as well. So what's going on? Why this gap? Well, I think the best way of addressing that question is to look at what Paul experienced in the churches that he established, and indeed he assisted, and how he responded to that. In other words, 
think about what he says in his letters. Don't worry, I'm not going to review them all uh, this morning. Victoria did say it was only going to be 25 minutes. Um, but we do need to look at that. Now, the problem is, of course, we don't know much about what those Christians in those early churches were feeling. But we do know a lot about how they were behaving. And it's clear that life in those churches was just as messy as it is in churches today, including in St. John's. There was dissension in the churches. There was some bad behaviour. In fact, some extraordinarily bad behaviour. And it's clear that those early Christians, like us, were frequently failing in their service of God. It's clear that they were struggling with the tendency to do things that are wrong. And judging from the way Paul addresses them, some of them didn't feel close to God, and a number of them were tempted to be discouraged. So so Paul experienced these same issues that we're probably thinking of here today. So how did he respond? Well, first of all, he recognised that some people in his churches had never actually truly repented and turned to Christ. He recognised that they were willfully doing things contrary to God's will, and he had some pretty stern warnings for them as well. This is Galatians chapter 5. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are stern warnings. And of course, we do need to ask ourselves whether we need to heed those warnings. But, but that's not my main purpose this morning. That was a minority of the people he was addressing. The majority of the people in his churches were not in that position. And what Paul did for them was to encourage them, to uh, guide them, and to exhort them. Now, he sometimes did that pretty firmly. Paul was never one to pull his punches, but he was constantly seeking to build them up. And it's important to note what he didn't say. He didn't say that because of their failures and their struggles, they weren't born again. No. He said the exact reverse. He said that all who have repented and put their faith in Jesus are new creations. That The Corinthian church, to, to whom he was writing this letter, was, was in many ways a shambles. Uh, just read 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, for that matter. And what did Paul say to them? Well, we forgot it here. They are, he said, you are. New creations, the old has gone, the new has come. So, so, so he'd be saying the same to our thing to us here today. Paul's message to us today is exactly the same. If you haven't repented, well, I've got a severe warning for you. But otherwise, you are new creations. Because you see, Paul recognised something really fundamental. We are new creations... But the outworking of the consequences of that takes time. It takes time for that to be manifest. It's as if an old building has been pulled down, new foundations have been laid, but then it takes time to build the new building. If we're Christians, we are 
God's new creations. But working out the consequences of that takes time and requires practice. The the, the Holy Spirit is at work in us. But changing our lives is a progressive work and requires effort on our part. Let Let me give another analogy. Imagine that you've had a serious accident and seriously damaged your legs such that you can't walk. You then have an operation. And afterwards, the surgeon comes to you and says, it was a success. Your legs are as good as new. Good news. Except that when you try to walk, you find you still can't walk. So do you conclude that the surgeon was wrong and that the operation had been a failure? No, of course you don't. Not least because the surgeon will probably have said to you, tomorrow the physiotherapist will come round and teach you some exercises and be with you so that your legs will progressively get stronger. And then again, over coming weeks you will probably stumble on occasions. You might fall down. There may be times when you feel you're not progressing or even going backwards. You may be discouraged and tempted to give up. But if you're wise, you will keep going. You will keep using your legs. And and always, of course, with the assistance and guidance of the physiotherapist. And slowly, they will get stronger. Now... I stress that analogy is imperfect, so please don't press it too strongly because it will break down if you do that. But I hope it gets the basic point across. We we have had the operation. We are new creations. But that doesn't mean that everything changes immediately. It doesn't. We need to work at serving God. And we need to do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. And it's not surprising that we fall from time to time or that the going is tough. The the going is particularly tough because unlike rehabilitation from a leg operation, this rehabilitation, spiritual rehabilitation, goes on throughout our lives. But there's some good news as well because the analogy breaks down in a second way. Because, of course, the physiotherapist isn't with you at all time and isn't with you for life. The Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is promised to be with us, to guide us and encourage us throughout our lives. So how should we respond to this? I've already said a number of the more important things. First, do just check. If you have not repented and turned in faith to Christ, putting your trust in him, then that is a crucial first step. Everything else follows from that. We cannot please God if we haven't done that. We cannot change if we haven't done that. But if you have done that, then be encouraged. And and first of all, remember, you are part of God's new creation. The old has gone, 
the new is here. Keep reminding yourself of that. And then keep reminding yourself of the fact that you do have God's Holy Spirit working in you. And as a result, you both can and should serve God. As a result, when you do so, you will be pleasing God. Something previously impossible. And it's precisely because the Holy Spirit is with us that all this is worthwhile. Because God's working with us. And then, as we seek to act on that, the first and most obvious thing is that we need to seek God's guidance as to what we should do. Victoria's already mentioned it earlier. We need to seek God's will in the Bible and in prayer. Otherwise, how will we know what to do? I can imagine the Lord at some point saying to us when we moan that we didn't know what to do, uh, I should imagine the Lord would say, well, how much guidance do you actually want? We've got a lot. So we should seek God's will in the Bible and in prayer. We should seek the help of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. But then we should step out in faith. Rather like in my analogy, stand up on those legs. Start exercising them. We should step out in faith and do our best, knowing we will stumble, knowing there will be setbacks, knowing it will be tough, but recognising that we are doing what God wants us to do, enabled by God. And I know the testimony of many Christians, and I can testify to this to myself, both on the positive side and the negative. As we do that we will more and more observe the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And as we observe that, we will be encouraged. And we will, therefore, be more prepared to step out. And we go on an upward spiral. There is, of course, an associated downwards spiral. But if we do those things, we, we, we will go on that upward spiral. There, there are certain statements in the Bible that when I first read them, uh, they leapt off the page, and I've quoted them incessantly ever since. And one of those is a statement in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. It's this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You and I are new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. Let's remember that in 2023 and act accordingly. Amen.